0: Welcome to the Get Over Yourself Podcast. This is author and athlete Brad Kearns, discovering ways to be healthy, fit, and happy in hectic, high-stress modern life. So let's slow down and take a deep breath, take a cold plunge, and expertly balance that competitive intensity with an appreciation of the journey. That's the theme of the show. Here we go.
1: I kind of get less excited about talking about lab numbers, you know, and I'm more excited about what's actually happening to you, you know, did you, right. did you gain three pounds of muscle, did you put, you know, 50 pounds on your deadlift, I mean, to me, that's what counts. How do you define someone's healthy, I think that's also a, sort of a challenging topic because a lot of people will say in a lot of physicians, in fact, uh, and one of the problems with the healthcare industry is we we've kind of diced and sliced people up based on numbers, and we stop looking and actually examining people. And, you know, physicians they've got ten to fifteen minutes to see people if they're lucky on some on some occasions, depending on particularly if they're working in an employed model. So we've got all these sort of variables in there. So I like to look at when I when I or what I suggest people look at are things that you know, that are kind of more long lasting. Things like a coronary artery calcium scan if you're over say 45 years of age.
0: Let's talk about ancestral supplements. If you're into ancestral health, primal, paleo, keto, you know the importance of consuming these unique agents contained in bone marrow, in the nose to tail, organ meats, liver, kidney, all that stuff, the great bone broth benefits. Well, how's it going? For me, since years ago when Dr. Kate Shanahan asserted the importance of these wonderful nutritional benefits that you can't get elsewhere, eh, not too good. I don't know how to cook a liver or a kidney, but now your problems are solved forever. When you go to ancestralsupplements.com, a wonderful company filled with people who are living the dream, walking their talk, and bottling up the purest, cleanest sources of grass-fed organ meats, kidney, liver, bone marrow, all in these wonderful capsules. I dump them in my smoothie every day. I'm healthy. I don't have to worry. It's an incredible dietary boost. And this is so different from swallowing a bunch of those synthetic vitamins and those giant bottles from the big box stores. Highly questionable health practice. This stuff is the real deal. Grass-fed organ meats, pure as can be. Ancestralsupplements.com Dr. Sean Baker dropping in on a beautiful sunny day in Southern California. This dude is living the dream, breaking world records, helping thousands of people heal with his beautiful program at MeatRx.com and his new book, The Carnivore Diet. Get a load of this guy, people. You're going to enjoy this show. So simple, so straightforward. It's like, oh my gosh. How easy can it get? He changes his diet, alleviates all kinds of lifelong aches and pains that were developed from his long-term career as a high-contact sport athlete, and then goes out and busts these world records on the Concept2 rower. That everyone participates in. He's as good as the young guys, but the Masters World Records are shattered by Sean Baker. And he puts a lot of credit to changing his diet in recent years and performing better than ever beyond age 50 so shout out to the 50 plus category yes dreams do come true and you're going to really love his sensible reasonable approach of course everything is steeped in science with his medical background and he's going to motivate and inspire you to at least give it a shot especially if you're suffering from inflammatory or autoimmune conditions and even if you're not and you just want to perform better what a great conversation enjoy Dr. Sean Baker, author of The Carnivore Diet and purveyor of this wonderful community program that's dedicated to helping others at meetrx.com. Da, 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 da. Sunny Southern California, looking at Saddleback Mountain. So glad to connect in person with Dr. Sean Baker. How you doing, man? Yeah, Brad, I'm doing well. Thanks for coming out. Yeah, it's good to see you uh, in person as well. You're a busy guy. Uh, I, I don't do much social media, but I, I find you on Instagram once in a while. And you know how those videos run on a loop on Instagram. So you watch through and then starts over and you don't know. And so I saw you doing the, the squats, the 405 pound squats, and I thought it was just a loop. Like you did, you know, a few reps and then it loops back and then it loops back, but you were, you were doing 20 reps of how much weight on that squat bar.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I can't remember the last, I think I did 405 for 20 or something. <laughs> I mean, these were high box yeah. squats, so it was fairly relatively light, but, uh... That's relatively light? But, well, from what I'm used to doing, I, I was doing, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was doing 520 pounds, so... Uh yeah, I do a lot of I tend to do higher rep stuff. that yeah. seems to work well for and, me.
0: Um, you're in the uh, you're in the 50 plus category.
1: I turned 53 a couple days ago. So
0: yeah, I'm, I'm, thumbs I'm up to there. the yeah, 50 plus. Yeah, 50 plus. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, on a serious note, you're walking your talk. So you're you're talking about this crazy diet that mm-hmm. the average person will find a quick pop off for. Um, everyone's begging me to watch this new movie where people are performing amazing athletic feats because of this special diet and then here you are doing doing 20 reps of a 405 pound squat bar at over 50 years old that's got to be that's got to be up there in the, the record record levels, uh, but I, I do want to ask you about your rowing record and um, your your athletic exploits here at this age, because something something's working, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't just wake up one day, start eating meat, and turn into a, to a phenomenal athlete. I mean, oh, you know. Oh, <laughs> oh I thought that was hot. just because of the meat. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. No, I mean, I've been training my whole oh, life. Oh, he's been training. Okay. Uh, yeah, and so I've been doing that for 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 years and years. But I mean, the unique thing, I think, for me is, you know, as you get older, you kind of see a gradual decline in performance. and when i turned 50 and i adopted this, uh, an all-meat diet i actually saw an increase in performance which i thought was pretty good and i started to kind of rival things i could do in my early 40s and late 30s which you know again it's pretty cool when you're when you're 50 plus and i don't i don't take hormones or drugs or anything like that and so i i, I have to attribute it to the diet because it's the only thing i really change my training has not changed significantly in, in the philosophy that i do and so i've been you know, over the years, I cycled through, you know, I think I started out, uh, you know, kind of weightlifting, and then I played high-level rugby in New Zealand and throughout the United States on a bunch of select teams playing for the military. Uh, and then I kind of transitioned back into powerlifting for a while, where I got to where I was, you know, reasonable, I got to close to an 800-pound deadlift as a shrug-free athlete back in my early 30s, and then I then I played with some of the strongman stuff for a while. And then we had the first ever, uh, first ever... Uh, national strongman championships i think i was fifth in the in the the heavyweight class Uh, again as a drug-free athlete and then i kind of realized that without me taking drugs i didn't think i could succeed in strongman unfortunately and so after that i think i transitioned into uh throwing stuff so i got into the highland games and that's where you you know you put on a kilt and you throw these big cabers and you throw these 56 pound weights with one arm and hammers and stones, and shot putting, and, and I ended up winning the, the uh, national and then the world championships, again, in the master's category in that sport. And then, you know, that required me to be 280, 290 pounds, uh, to be com- to have the leverages to compete with people who were even bigger, six foot nine, 350 pound guys. I'm this little guy at 6'5", 280, right? Uh, and then, you know, when I got to about, oh, early 40s, all that being really big and focusing only on strength training really started to catch up on me and my diet wasn't where, where it probably needed to be. Uh, and so then I I kind of cleaned up the diet and went through a you know, whole progression of different diets, ending up on this crazy meat diet. I took up rowing a little bit before that, ended up on this concept too, uh, which people who do CrossFit or obviously rowers are very familiar with. There's a You know sort of a competitive circuit where there's you know tens and thousands of people that that enter every year and enter their times and there's actually a world championship which i won last year which was here in long beach and i'm actually going to paris uh, in a couple weeks to compete you know to hopefully defend my title uh in the 500 meter category and so i i set uh, i think i over the over in my late 40s and early 50s i set six american records in various distances and then i set three world records and i've got one world championship and then hopefully knock on wood i'll have another one you know in a couple of weeks
0: so so the concept too is the calibrated machine you see in all the health clubs so anyone anywhere in the world can throw down a time right and i suppose video it and and you know it's and complete proof that you you're on the same machine doing the same thing
1: right yeah there's a lot of ways to verify it. there's an actually internal code that, that the machine will give you to show you that uh, that time you do is valid and that's how they validate them there's a lot there's you know there's there's you know, there's a lot of ways to verify that, but that's that's how it is, it is uniquely interesting because you can do it in anywhere in the world, and you know the machine will give you the same result. You know,
0: no excuses uh, in Paris. Oh, right. the machines were right, all right,
1: right? And usually in these contests, they give you brand new machines, which is all really right. nice because you know you can you actually can get a little better time on a brand new machine typically because the bungee cord in there kind of stretches out over time. Mine's probably all stretched out because I beat on that thing every single day, yeah, uh, pretty hard. But yeah, it's 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 a pretty good test of. of uh, fitness for sure and then and, and then in the the faster distance strength becomes a role uh, you know has a big role in that
0: well these are sh- very short duration efforts right if, if...
1: well i mean the 500 meter you know my time my best time is a minute 14 so oh, that my would goodness. be that would
0: be a relatively
1: short you know distance you know the the, the olympic distance that most red, rowers compete at is two thousand meters which you know the top guys were are, are doing that under six minutes and, and that's uh yeah, that's a pretty challenging thing to do. That's that's. I, I probably will move on to that two thousand meter maybe next year when I when I kind of get tired of focusing on the five hundred meter and and uh, hopefully I'll be the first person under fifty to break six minutes. I think I can do that. So that would be, uh, I think, a pretty good, you know, demonstration of fitness, but also a testament to diet.
0: Okay, so you were you were doing this these power events for many years. And cycling through different kinds of diet, were you kind of a high experimental guy where you went extreme into this, extreme into that? Or what was that dietary journey like that landed you on your your current pattern?
1: Well, I mean, for most of my athletic career, it was just eat enough because in strength sports, (laughs) being big requires you to eat a heck of a lot. And I didn't, you know, I ate a lot of what we would consider healthy food, but I certainly ate a lot of calories and I ate a lot of food that, you know, I didn't miss, I didn't skip dessert all the time. I would have it from time to time. And so... But yeah, as I went on the dietary journey, it started with uh, as a physician. You know, I said, "Well, I mean, you got to eat less and you got to move more." And 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 I did that, and I did that, I did that to the extreme. I mean, to the point where I was training three times a day. Even as a busy surgeon, I would get up early in the morning and I would jump rope. I would do maybe a couple thousand jump rope skips, and then over my lunch hour, on the days I had had the capacity to do that, I train. You know, lifting weights very intensely. And then I get home in the evening, you know, put my kids to bed and then jump rope again another couple thousand skips. And then I dramatically dropped my caloric intake. And not surprisingly, I lost a bunch of weight. I lost, I went from 280 to like 230 in three months. I mean, you know, I got really lean and uh, the nurses didn't like me anymore because I was a bit of an ass. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the cranky, cranky yeah, weight yeah. loss program. Right, right. So I was doing that and then I just kind of realized I couldn't sustain it. And then I kind of started shifting over to a paleo. Uh, primal type of approach did that for a while really enjoyed it you know you know did all the cooking and the recipes and kind of read more and more and, and kind of fell in line with some of the low-carb thought by reading a lot of the material and experiment with that we did a ketogenic diet for about two and a half years or so and, and wow. then i kind of sort of stumbled on these kind of crazy people doing this all meat diet and i just kind of was kind of you know spent about six months to a year kind of like this well that, that's interesting and following these people and reading about just thinking success, about it though. right thinking about yeah. it and then I would do like a couple days you know I would do steak and eggs for three or four days and you know I actually felt pretty good and I liked it I enjoyed it and then I kind of got the, I got enough bravery to do it for a week and then two weeks and then finally in 2016 I did it for a 30-day stretch and at that time I had a you know, a, a reasonable social media following enough to where people were kind of interested. And, um,
0: well, what were you doing before that? Before I was in a key, you... like a ketogenic type. Diet, okay. Yeah. yeah you're so, just I mean, promoting... not, not, not far yeah. off. Right.
1: And so, uh, and so I did it and I, you know, we kind of joked around. I, t- I listed a poll. What am I going to die of in these 30 days? Am I going to get scurvy? You know, am I going to get heart disease Am my colon going to fall out from lack of fiber? And, you know, obviously none of that happened. And, you know, and, and, you know, it was kind of, it, what initially started out as just an experiment as a joke. I really had a profound, you know, you know objective improvement in my health. And so then when I, when the when 30 days were over, I went back to that kind of ketogenic cell diet with, you know, a wider variety of food, the things I thought i missed, miss. And I ate them and I had, you know, a whole variety of things. And I was like, the next day, I was like, man, I don't feel this. Good, you know, I just something doesn't feel as good from
0: whatever adding salads or nuts or whatever whatever. whatever it was. I added a bunch
1: of. I couldn't tell you exactly what it was, and uh, and then I said, well, you know, all things being equal, I really am not so concerned about high fat. I'm not worried about having a heart attack because I I think there's a lot of context that goes around cholesterol that we we we, we have to be more nuanced about it. And so I went back to the to the all meat diet and continued to feel great. And then all of a sudden, I'm breaking world records on the rowing machine. Uh, doing well. You know, all, all the aches and pains that I had accumulated over the 50 years of my life went away. And I'm just, you know, this is a good way for me to feel. And and so now I'm three plus years later into this and still doing quite well.
0: That's quite early back in 2016. I mean, what was going on at that point? Was it, I, I know the bodybuilders have been playing with this since the 70s where they'd cut up for the contest eating only steak and eggs. But it, it seems like the, the public has only become aware of the carnivore diet in the past 12 months or some number like that. Yeah, I
1: mean, it, well, I mean, it even goes farther back. You know, you can go back to Mitzkarani and farther back with athletes using steak and eggs and steak as, as a, as a main part of their diet. So this goes back quite a few years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I guess there had been people in the background, a kind of a small group, maybe several thousand people that had collected on a, social media platform that I kind of stumbled across. And so it was pretty quiet. Um, You know, obviously, I mean, we could say that, argue that there's societies have done pretty much meat-based diet for for, forever, basically. Uh, But as far as mainstream, you know, Western culture, this is kind of unique. Uh, And, you know, partly, uh, you know, it was kind of interesting because I I ended up going to Joe Rogan's podcast because he, for whatever reason, he found out about me, thought it was crazy enough to put him on the show and unique. And that, I think, probably, you know, brought it to a lot of people's attention. And, and then I think Michaela Peterson sort of was inspired by that, and Jordan Peterson, and then that kind of, and that, that brought it further into the public's eye. And, of course, I've been a pretty vocal proponent of people trying it. You know, not that I think this is the only thing people should do, and I'm not very dogmatic about it, but I think it does seem to be very effective
0: uh, it's no big deal. It's just the attribution for my world records at age 50 plus. Yeah. I mean, I, I like your style because you are definitely um, agreeable and not super uh, negative or attacking the other points of view. But again, this thing is now turning into something that's kind of ridiculous where the the, the propaganda that's being thrown in our faces, I, I feel like it's maybe you're going to have to get um, – We're all going to have to get a little more um, resilient or something. Well, I mean, I I would say that I am
1: certainly not going to say that everybody has to do this, needs to do this. This is the best thing for all people. But I think for many people, particularly people struggling with health conditions, and even though I'm an athlete and and I'm enjoying the fruits of the diet in my personal experience, um, I'm really concerned with these people that have all these chronic medical conditions as a physician. And that's Mm -hmm. why I'm really excited about the utility of this. Now, you are right, and and I and I wouldn't say that I don't criticize because I, I have been very critical of the plant-based sort of, you know, thought that that is the ultimate thing that we all need to be doing. And I do see that this is probably being driven mostly by, uh, you know, financial interests, particularly people that want us to sort of transition over to this, I like to call it human pet food, but it's basically highly processed, <laughs> you know, it's highly processed plant-based foods. Uh, these alternate protein sources, these quote, quote unquote, faux meats. And I think that is what I think we really have to push back against because they're trying to scapegoat, you know, cows is destroying the planet using very sort of a lot of misinformation, quite honestly. And and they're sort of distorting the the impact, not that there's no impact, but uh, they're, they're sort of trying to, you know, the people that are really, I think, behind this are the people that stand to make a lot of money in the alternative meats market with, you know, it's projecting to be a hundred billion dollar industry. And so they're, they're, they're laying a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, information in there and it's being pushed through the media and, you know, it's, it's being propped up uh, very
0: aggressively. So you talk about having these aches and pains from lifelong athletic journey, especially contact sports. I can't even imagine. We know that the, the NFL players are walking around virtually crippled. I've seen Jim Otto; he comes to the takeout in the town I used to live in, and um, you know he's put together by by string and gum right now. Uh, these poor guys. Uh, but then, uh, miraculously, you're saying these these major aches and pains you'd noticed a, a significant alleviation. I'm so excited to introduce you to Paluva. This is a new please visit paluva.com, that's P-E-L-U-V-A, and use the code BRADPODCAST and get 10% off your first pair. Paluvas, let your feet be feet.
1: Yeah, I mean, from my personal uh, uh, experience, yeah, I mean, any sort of tendonitis, you know, sore, achy joint uh, basically went away from me, and it's pretty much (laughs) been that way since that time with, with rare exception. And what i saw even on a ketogenic diet you know when i was when i was you know doing orthopedics is i saw patients that i needed them to lose weight for surgery and you know a ketogenic diet was what i was asking them to do because i found it to be more effective for most people and uh, what i was seeing even in absence of weight loss for these people is their joint pain would go away and well, while see-
0: they were losing weight, then well, they come in and say, "Hey, my knee doesn't hurt anymore. I don't need surgery." <laughs> exactly, and, and, that, <laughs> right? and that and that has some negative
1: implications for revenue for the hospital, unfortunately.
0: But um, oh, imagine that! Yeah, Doctor <laughs> Baker told me to lose fifty pounds, and now no, well, I don't need yeah. my surgery
1: anymore. Yeah, so yeah. that was that was uh, I think that was uh, you know one of the early sort of uh, sort of light switches for me that turned on. And I said, "Wait a minute, there's something going on here besides wear and tear," because the orthopedic model particularly for osteoarthritis, it's just mechanical, it's just wear and tear. And I think there's a huge biologic component, an inflammatory component, that we are now starting to uh, you know, see see that. But I mean, even in, you know, addition to what I was seeing on a ketogenic diet with a purely meat-based diet, this was even amplified. This was, you know, people that had still had some aches and pains like I did when I uh, was on a ketogenic diet when I went on the meat-based diet, even the last little vestiges of that went away, which I think was really cool. And I am seeing, you know, almost daily now as my social media has gotten quite honestly out of hand. I've got so many people that I that I you know, have following me. And, uh, you know, it's every day I see literally people whose chronic back pain went away, their chronic knee pain went away. They cancel, cancel joint replacement surgeries. Uh, you know, that that's occurring. Just, just, it's very common now.
0: So from your scientific medical background, what the heck's going on when, when you're, when you're switching over to this, it's uh, still perceived as a, a fringe radical diet? So, you know, from what
1: we are starting to understand, you know, I think there is, you know, with regard to what's going on with a meat-based diet, we're seeing more and more, uh, more and more uh, diseases that seem to have a, a origin in the gut. And, you know, I, we know that, uh, there is significant evidence out there that uh, going on a meat-based diet seems to help with gut permeability. That is to say, it restores a normal permeability, rather than the excess permeability, the so-called leaky gut. Syndrome. Is it
0: restoring it due to the agents in the meat, or is it because you're eliminating the plant foods? I think it's your. I think it's
1: mostly the removal of, of the. the, the the irritating foods i think that's what's occurring and this is based on the work of you know uh, dr chofia clemens and chabato thought in hungary where they're doing a lot of intestinal permeability testing they're using something called peg 400 which is polyethylene glycol and they're comparing you know foods in the diet and what happens with gastric per- or, or gastrointestinal permeability and they're seeing clearly that certain foods increase it Whereas when you remove those foods, it, it normalizes. So the tight junctions tend to tend to tend to improve. We see at the same time that occurs, inflammatory markers decrease, and then clinical symptoms follow shortly after that. So it's probably that's one aspect of it. I think there's you know I think more chronically, things like advanced glycation end products, which occur when we have this sort of you know insulin dysregulation and, and up and down glucose. Uh, probably there's some some problem with uh oxidized uh you know lipids as well you know, some of these uh, seed oils that we we're consuming. oh
0: right when you go to a carnivore diet you're cutting out a lot of processed carbs imagine that
1: yeah you're cutting out a lot of you're just cutting out all the junk i mean it's hard yeah.
0: to make a carnivore diet with junk food i mean it's just it's just pretty darn you hard can get do. um, i don't know uh,
1: i mean you know maybe some of the some of the sauce nitrate-laden yeah, yeah, processed yeah, I mean, meat or some something. of that stuff if it's got a lot of garbage in there you might, but I mean, for the most part, it's a, it's a really good way to get rid of that stuff. Because even on, you know, as, as I'm sure you're aware, even any new new diet that comes around, uh, paleo, vegan, you know, primal, keto, they, they get all the junk food. And just, you know, we get all the junk food products, you know, it's because they want to make the buck on it. And they're really scratching their head how to do it on carnivore. You know, like, <laughs> how the heck can we make carnivore junk food or, or processed food? And, you know, we're seeing. A few attempts, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, have much of a significant effect. So it's, it's really a, a pretty pure diet for the most part. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to, you know, you know, do that diet with, with anything that's got that stuff in there. So I think that's the main improvement. You know, if we look at, you know, even these longevity countries, I think more than anything, whether it's plant-based or meat-based, it's absence of junk based. And I think that's the biggest thing we're seeing, you know, when you look, whether you look at Blue Zones or other, you know, other long, long-lived long countries, you know, whether it's Iceland or Japan or, you know, Hong Kong or uh, Monaco, you know, a lot of those countries have wealth also as a, as a, as a confounder there. But, you know, it's, it tends to be get the crap out of your diet, eat whole foods, whether it's meat or plants. That seems to be a pretty good strategy. In my view, obviously, I'm biased toward the meat side of it.
0: Well, you've made an important point, too, because we're getting bombarded with all the propaganda and, and forced to uh, maybe take sides or, you know, start to uh, formulate some limiting beliefs about the direct association with uh, this particular superfood or dietary strategy. You had a great quote on your Instagram, I think it was your welcome to 2020 message, you said, um, it's impossible to study diet and conclude that it will make you live longer. I guess because of so many confounding factors.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely right. I mean, if we look at nutrition science in general, I mean, it's 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 just basically poor science. I mean, <laughs> and it's not because it's any of the fault of the scientists. It's just it's too hard to realistically do. I mean, you can't really do a study where you kill all the you know the, the people at the end of the study and cut them open <laughs> and, and say what happened. So because we can't do that, and we're constrained by ethics you know, the studies that would have to be done are, you know, basically twin studies locked in metabolic wards for 50 years, controlling every variable and, and you know, varying the diet. And yeah. I mean, short
0: of that, short of we that, got flaws short, coming right into short the of that, picture. Flaws.
1: And there's people that will argue, well, it's the best we can do. And therefore we need to accept those outcomes. And I, I, I look at it a different way. I said, you know, if you've got really bad data, you just have to accept this really bad data and you can't draw the conclusions. And I think that's uh, along the lines of people like Professor Gordon Guyatt, who is, you know, the, the, the actual the, the person who actually invented evidence-based medicine. This is, you know, he's from McMaster University in Canada. He's in the Canadian Medical Hall of Fame. He's one of the most cited researchers of all time. His whole career has been evaluating evidence. And I interviewed him and he said, look, we don't have evidence to make nutritional guidelines. There is nothing, you know, there's nothing out there that we can we can say. that." Would... What does he know?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, he's a guy. He's that... only spent his whole right, career. Right, yeah.
1: Exactly. And people will, you know, d- discount that. And, and again, this is one of the, he's one of the guys that sat on the Nutrirex committee who basically came out recently and said there's no strong evidence to suggest that red meat causes colorectal cancer, heart disease or anything else. And they criticized him because he applied a more rigorous, uh, evaluation tool to look at the evidence and it's saying well we should just be able to use really weak you know weak criteria to say what we do and I think well maybe he has it right maybe maybe we should use actual you know strong level of criteria before we make these big sweeping uh, proclamations that are going to affect you know billions of people's uh-huh. lives I mean maybe, maybe we should really have a strong, Strong evidence before we make those decisions.
0: Oh, see, the industrial seed oil controversy—I think that was in the '60s—with the McGovern Council and, you know, making legislation for the, the United States for decades to come, and it was now being exposed as, uh, you know, complete uh, manipulation and uh, profit-seeking and special interests and you know we were told to get rid of butter and eat margarine in the whatever late 60s early 70s and it's that these things are still hanging on to conventional wisdom today
1: yeah i think it was i think it was 77 that mcgovern had that panel he basically says i don't have time for the science i gotta make a decision <laughs> now. And i mean that's that 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 obviously that decision has arguably hurt you know countless millions of people's lives but you know if we look at just you know basic in your face type of things when we look at red meat for instance you know back in 1976 uh, the U.S. peaked in its meat consumption. We were consuming around ninety-six pounds of meat, a red meat, you know, beef per capita, and now in two thousand and twenty, we consume about fifty-six pounds. So we've got mm. like a 40 percent reduction in red meat consumption in the last fifty years or so. And yet we're fatter, we're sicker, we have more diabetes, yeah. we have more, you know, cancers. We, you know, we have more autoimmune disease. And so it's kind of like hard for me to buy into red meat is causing these things when we eat less of it.
0: And we're sicker. I mean, Let's it, it just doesn't uh, make sense. What's the corresponding curve for sugar there from nineteen?
1: Yeah, so sugar is pretty 70, interesting. 10. Sugar has gone up. It's kind of gone down in the last 10 or 15 years, you uh. know, and so maybe there's a threshold level. But probably the more telling curve is probably that seed oil curve. And so when we mm. look at soybean oil consumption, currently soybean oil is the, the, the amount of calories you get from soybean oil exceed is it equal to or, to, or exceeds... The amount of calories we get from beef currently, which is a shocking fact, that is that is something you think about. That we're getting more calories from soybean oil than we do from beef these days, which is, you know, in my view, a little bit scary. And I think that's something that, uh, you know, another thing you'd like to pin. You know, you could potentially say, well, this at least hypothetically makes sense. Whereas the other, you know, beef going down, disease going up, it's, it's it becomes harder to make that argument. The same thing you can be said about. You know, if we want to go to the environmental side, you know, atmospheric methane sure. has been on the rise for the last 20 and 30 years. But guess what? World cattle population has declined by 100 million cattle in the last you know 30, 40 years. Wow. So we are seeing a decrease in our cattle population, yet an increase in our methane. And you know, and, and when they actually look at it, when they do a top-down assessment, and they go up in the atmosphere and they sample the methane concentration, and they look at the special isotopic signatures, they can say this. Methane come from here, it came from here. And the bottom line is it's not, it's not coming from the cattle. It's coming from, you know, perhaps natural gas leaks through things like fracking. It's coming from hydroelectric power. It's coming from rice, rice fields. It's coming from wetlands leaks. But it's not coming from cattle. So this whole sort of argument uh-huh. is not grounded in any significant amount of, you know, real hard data. It's more ideology. It's propaganda. It is designed to prop up this, like we talked about, this $100 billion dollar, Alternate protein industry. Whew.
0: Okay, so if we're we're making progress here with the acknowledgement that the science is imperfect and the headline story that you read uh, might be anywhere from complete bullshit and manipulative to just just based basically inaccurate. So where would we go to? Uh, doing a personal blood profile before and after a 30-day experiment, especially if you're suffering from any kind of health condition or even aches and pains?
1: Yeah, I mean, how do you define someone's healthy? I think that's also a, a sort of a challenging topic because a lot of people will say, and a lot of physicians, in fact, uh, and one of the problems with the healthcare industry is we, we've kind of diced and sliced people up based on numbers, and we stopped looking and actually examining people. And, you know, physicians, have got... 10 to 15 minutes to see people if they're lucky on some on some occasions depending on particularly if they're working in an employed model and you know much of that time is spent doing coding doing billing meeting your EMR you know electronic medical records requirements so you have very little time for the patient so you do what's most uh, expeditious which is you know we will do a lab and then if the lab is a certain value we'll try to fix that we'll treat that lab value uh, whether that's actually making you better or not is debatable, but, but the way we treat that lab value more often than not is a prescription medication, and that's what we're trying to do. So what I want to ask if somebody, if, there's, if, we, sub, if we threw out all lab values and we wanted to tell people, you know, are you healthy or not? Most people could tell you. I mean, they could say, I feel like garbage, I'm tired, I'm depressed, mm. you know, I got a big beer belly, you know, my sex life is awful, you know, um, my, my joints hurt, my digestion's gest- my awful take those people and you reverse all that stuff. And all of a sudden they're lean and they're happy and they feel 20 Mm. years younger and everything works. I would argue that person has gotten healthier. (laughs) Something's working. Regardless of what the lab values say. Yeah. I mean, I I think that's a commonsensical argument that that I think is hard to refute. Although there are people that in the face of that, you know, and we have doctors that will see someone come in and every (laughs) objective clinical thing you could look at it says they're better, and yet perhaps maybe their cholesterol went up right. a bit, and all of a sudden, you, oh my gosh, you're on a road for here's some attack. statins. Yeah, right, here's some statins, You're on a road for cardiac. Stop whatever you're doing. Stop eating meat. <laughs> go on this low fat, you know, flavored cardboard diet, um, and you know, and, and live miserably, right? And this this is what we have out there because we've been so brainwashed to think that cholesterol is the, the devil and the enemy. And I think there's, you know, again, I think when we look at it, there's there's nuance. Most of Americans are, you know, obese. They are they are overweight. They are metabolically unhealthy in that situation. Elevated cholesterol. It's probably, you know, more of a problem. But when we when we when we start getting nuanced and we look at people like perhaps myself or yourself, who is not metabolically inflamed, that is lean, that is active, that that you know, probably all the other numbers we would might want to look at are in good position. Then that cholesterol might have not quite have the same impact, and I think that's the, 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 sort of the disconnect. And it takes a physician or a healthcare provider that's willing to spend a little more time to look at the overall package. But again, we have a system that doesn't really foster that. There's no incentive to do that. It's well, ninety percent of you guys are sick anyway. Here's the statin. You know, and if ten percent have to suffer <coughs> from that, yeah, we're not, not going to worry about that. Um, so, but you know, like I said, when I look at you know, how would I assess someone's health? First of all, I would ask them subjectively. I think that's very important. I think that's what people really want. I mean, how are you doing? Because I get people send me to labs all the time and you know, I don't really care. Like, what are you? What's going on with you? Yeah.
0: Are you happy? Are you happy? Are you doing <laughs> better? And most of the time, yeah, I
1: feel great. I lost all this weight. Oh. I'm lean. Yeah. Nothing hurts. You know, what about this lab and that lab? Well, I'm, first of all, these reference ranges were established on basically six standard American
0: diet people. That's one thing. We have to realize. All the reference, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. And and, and
1: you know we also have to realize that um, these labs, you can take a lab today and take it tomorrow, and very likely those numbers aren't going to match. So there's a lot of day-to-day variability between lab numbers. There's also a lot of diurnal variations. So for instance, vitamin D, if you take it first thing in the morning, it's going to be low. You take it afternoon; it's going to be higher. Wow. Most people don't know that, and they get all hung up on. Oh my God, my vitamin is low. I need to supplement. You know, and well, you could have said, well, my, maybe you should just taken your lab two hours later, and you've been normal. So we've got all these sort of variables in there. So I like to look at when I when I or what I suggest people look at are things that you know that are kind of more long lasting things like a coronary artery calcium scan if you're over say 45 years of age. That has it. That has some sort of meaning to me as far as what's going on chronically chronically with you convert, you know alternatively a carotid intermedial thickness test uh kind of shows you the sort of any sort of atherosclerotic disease mm. or potential for that or you know uh, inflammation in the in the in the vessels um, that's something helpful you can look at visceral fat you know we can get a liver ultrasound or that that would be more uh, or
0: or an instagram photo either one
1: well i mean yeah i mean there's some correlation for that if you if you, if you got a big beer belly you probably got visceral fat. You know, if you're, if you're got, if you got a six pack, you're probably gonna likely to have visceral fat. I know people don't like to say that, well, just be, because there's a fit guy that once died. Yeah. I mean, that's the exception. I mean, you know, most people that are lean are in better cardiometabolic health than people that are better obese. I mean, that, that's not controversial, but people always like to point out the exceptions. And then, you know, I think things like, you know, waist to height ratio, which we talked about, uh, VO2 max, you know, lean muscle mass, you know, your capacity to do things are important. Right. I think those things, to me, are better indicators of health than, than some of these labs that we can get. You know, particularly the, the labs that are transient that can go up and down. Imaging is can be helpful. Uh, you know, ultimately, if you really want to look at something, you would biopsy it. Uh, you know, but mm. that's not practical and it's painful. So we don't typically want to do that. Blood is very easy to get, but it probably provides us a lot less
0: information than than other ways we could get. Than we think, right? Yeah, you wrote a great article on your website about testosterone. I'm curious to talk more about that cuz I I'd, I'd love to have, you know, great markers that I'm uh, delaying the aging process as, as well as possible. Um, and I think your commentary was about how you were performing well in all areas of life, but your number was in the low low range, maybe because of your uh, low insulin production and that's throwing off the results or talk more about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, so we can look again, once again, this becomes the difference between a lab number and clinical function. I think if you want to look at for a male, if you want to work, look at is my testosterone working, I would ask yourself, are you waking up with an erection every day? That's that's probably a pretty good clinical marker, right? We want We want to see that, you know? We also want to see the other clinical markers of testosterone function, you know, maintaining lean muscle mass, you know, mood and cognition, you know, um, sexual function, libido in general. Those things, are all, those things all indicate healthy testosterone. So when we look at the lab numbers, I mean, there, there's, you know, there's obviously there's total testosterone, free testosterone, that which is bound to sex hormone, binding globulin. Uh, and then also importantly, most people are starting to come to learn a little about this, uh, is the androgen receptor itself. And now we have drugs called selective androgen receptor modulators that people are manipulating, you know, these, these bodybuilders are trying to manipulate so they can express or make more efficient those androgen receptors because it's a lock and key model. If mm. you have a lot of testosterone floating around mm. but you have very low receptors, you're, you're, you're going to be limited on what your clinical uh, effect is. Conversely, if you have a lot of receptors and an equal amount of testosterone, you're going to get the most sort of bang for your buck. It has to, it has to pair up. Um, we know that the receptor can be increased by uh, strength training. Uh, there's some evidence that, you know, uh, infrequent meals or fasting can help with that. There's some evidence that carnitine, which is found pretty much exclusively in red in meat, particularly red meat, also can upregulate that androgen receptor. And so, we also know that there's again diurnal variable in your in your testosterone. What time of day did you take Did You take it first thing in the morning at 5 a.m. when your testosterone is at its peak. Or did you take it at you know noon when it's a lot lower? And so there, you know, did you have a hard workout? You know, in, in the days before that can drive down. We we see athletes that are getting really lean and training really hard, their testosterone tanks, and so you know, all those things play a factor in what your one minute testosterone. So I, I you know I had my testosterone drawn; it was low. low it was low. Everybody's like, well, you've got the testosterone of a grandmother. Why would I listen to you? And yet here I am repping five hundred pounds of deadlift as a drug-free athlete. I'm like, look, there's more to it than just what a transient number. In fact, I took it a week later and it was 100 points higher. And I just, I just didn't make a big deal of that because I don't, because I know there's day-to-day variation. There was an interesting study that Stu Phillips put out in 2018. I don't know if you're familiar with Professor Stu Phillips, but he's one of the leading muscle protein synthesis researchers, protein researchers in the world. And they did a study looking at, you know, college-aided athletes that were doing resistance training. And they, they assayed, you know, how much free testosterone, how much you know, bound testosterone, total testosterone, uh, you know, a number of other hormone markers, and they looked at the androgen receptor as well. And the only thing that correlated to muscle growth was the androgen receptor. Didn't matter no. how much testosterone they had, how much, how little, it was all about the androgen receptor. And so in a natural athlete, it seems to be more the receptor than anything else that dictates muscle, muscle growth and, and arguably other clinical functions. So, I think it's just more nuanced to what we know, and and the exception to that is because we know testosterone can stimulate androgen receptor, but that usually is in in the in the presence of exogenous testosterone. So guys are, you know, hitting the hitting the needle and pumping up with steroids. That's why they turn into giants, right? They get this, you know, we get a lot of like the expression of androgens in our traps and shoulders, and you know, you can see a bodybuilder that they just swell up in their traps like crazy, and you see this kind of typical pattern. That's the, that's the effect of exogenous testosterone, but normal endogenously produced testosterone within the normal range really doesn't have that much difference you know, with, with regard to muscle uh, uh, synthesis you know, relative to what the androgen receptor can do.
0: Can you test for the
1: androgen receptor levels? Yeah, with a biopsy, that's the problem. Oh, just a biopsy? Yeah, I don't know if there, no. there, there might be like an antigen label test, but it's probably very expensive, but I know the way, I think they did in that research, they biopsied
0: everybody. So, you know, it's uh, not convenient. So testing the free tea, you have the serum T level and then you have the free tea. Right. Is that going to give a hint that your receptors are working well or is that sort of...
1: Well, no, I think the best hint is clinical function. I mean, honestly, uh-huh. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. I mean, yeah. you know, like I said, your free test, there there are people with very high free testosterone that have horrible clinical function. Conversely, there are people, including very, very, very prominent, very strong athletes that have low testosterone levels that are doing very well. So I mean I think that's the ultimate test. That's what we care about at the end of the day. So again, I I, I kind of get less excited about talking about lab numbers, you know, and I'm more excited about what's actually happening to you. You know, did you right. did you gain three pounds of muscle? Did you put, you know, fifty pounds on your deadlift? I mean to me, that's what counts.
0: Yeah. Well I mean the Cooper Institute and University of Texas, the study of the one mile run. At age 50, they they said that was the number one longevity marker better than any blood value is how well you can perform at that age is highly predictive of your ability to survive till age 85 in good shape. And they have the time thresholds and there's also a push-up test that's strongly correlated with longevity. So,
1: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I agree 100%. I think that... You know, the Honolulu longevity study where they looked at people and they said the ones that were the strongest in midlife were the ones that had like a 250% likelihood of making it to 100 years. And yeah. so we do this over and I, I, I kind of make up this, you know, one, not the one mile because I don't want to run a mile. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, the... Uh, Neither do I.
0: It's painful. Yeah.
1: But... I mean, for, you know, an all-out mile is painful yeah. for sure. Yeah, Uh But, uh, you know, I look at the 100-meter dash, you know, I, I, you know, I just kind of arbitrarily said, you know, if we lined up, you know, 50 people of various ages and said, you guys run 100 meters. And everybody that could run it under 15 seconds, I would say, you guys are going to live longer than the guys that are going to run it over. And, you know, what would happen is a lot of people that are in the 15 plus category would be old guys, right? The younger guys would do oh, it. and I it's, see. And, you know, so, it's so all you, other things being... Right. All other things yeah. being equal. And the, the people that are more likely to die sooner are going to be in the latter half, you know, mo- many of it because they're aged, but also right. the people that can't run hundred meters in 15 seconds, either they're too damn fat, you know, they have not enough strength to, to propel their body. They don't have the, the, even the cardiovascular capacity. They don't have the flexibility, uh, you know, or they don't have the, 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 the joint function. Maybe they've got these injuries and stuff like that. And so if you can get into that, and the reason I chose 15 seconds is because the, World record for the eighty-five plus category is you know is is fifteen seconds. It so,
0: is. Yeah. Are you sure?
1: Yeah. Well, last time I looked it up, I thought it was. Right I, thought it
0: was I, I remember I was trying to get my dad out there because when he was ninety-five, he yeah. was in good shape. He made it till ninety-seven. Uh, but I thought he might have a shot at the record and it was like 28 seconds yeah, for the that, 95 but that, plus but, yeah,
1: but I'm talking about 85 so 15
0: 15 that, that is yeah, fast there's, there's like people have no idea right, that's, that's pretty fast that's so
1: moving there's an 85 yeah. year old that's done. so I said if there's an 85 year old dude that can run it at 15 there you go I sure as hell can should be able yeah, to now I haven't so. tested in a few the last time I checked I was 12 something so wow so I'm, I'm still not bad for an old guy that's but, explosive but, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah I mean I do a lot of yeah. explosive training But yeah. so, I, so that's my sort of criteria so if I can so if there's a 40 year old that runs it in sixteen and I'm fifty and I can run it in fourteen and I'm gonna outlive that forty year old. You know, that's what I
0: thought. Well I mean this this concept of biological age is now strongly validated and I remember um Jack Elaine, the best example of all. When he was forty three, he set the world record of doing a thousand push ups and a thousand pull ups in an hour twenty two minutes, obviously alternating back and forth. Uh, but, you know, that's off the charts for for any human of any age so Absolutely, his yeah. biological age you can you can peg it wherever you want 21 and it's it's literally true on so many levels yeah i mean jack
1: lane was obviously ahead of his time by quite a bit you know he was he was kind of uh an icon and i you know honestly on my birthday i do something you know he always did something crazy on his yeah. birthday so i've sort of last decade or so every year when i turn a year older i do something so this year i mean it was it was kind of weak because i was traveling i was in a hotel and i was like i turned 53 so i'm gonna do 530 push-ups so that's what i did for my birthday and you know so, um, what, what
0: kind of sets would that I, I was I just,
1: you know, I was speaking, actually speaking at a talk. It was kind of funny. <laughs> I would go behind a Sweaty I, guy comes down Well, to I them. would go behind a curtain and do 20 push ups. Oh, so you had to do them
0: throughout the day? Yeah, I was doing oh them throughout my the gosh. day. So,
1: people were watching me The kind of, what the hell is that guy doing? He's going to the, behind this curtain every 10, 15 minutes. He's going off doing push ups. You know, so that's what I was, because I was speaking that day. Yeah. This is at, at one of these uh, keto events. And so, uh, yeah, but I mean, I think the worst one I did was uh, when I turned 46. I did 4,600 jump ropes and that was, that was, and it took me about an hour to do that. And that was, that was, that's why wow. I, I don't want to do this one again. <laughs> I kind
0: of okay. It. We'll pick something else every year, yeah, um, yeah. broaden the, broaden the abilities. Yeah. When I turned 44, I deadlifted 700 pounds. That was my, Wow. that
1: was my uh, sort of goal for 44, but it, it varies from year to year. You
0: know. So are there any concessions that you're giving right now to your age? Do you train differently or have longer recovery times?
1: Not really. The only concession is I've gotten Busy and so busy that it's harder to do what I want to do. Yeah, but i'm physically, I feel like I can continue to train just as hard as I always could if I had the if I didn't have the time limitation. So I've been very focused on maximizing my time in the gym. Everything is done. uh I don't do a lot of screwing around. I mean, it's get it done. Go, I go pretty hard. I, I you know I I don't t- tend to train a lot of volume or a lot of time, just because more than anything, it's a time constraint type of issue for me. But I. I You know, if I have the time to train, I train just like I did when I was twenty. You know.
0: Uh, So let's say you did have the time, would you engage in these prolonged workouts, or do you do you kind of favor the the more short intense?
1: You know, again, it would depend on my short term goal. You know, is what I'm doing. Like, still as I you know, like as I get ready for these rowing contests, everything is focused to that, and and so it's it, it for me, it works better with the short intense type stuff. But I think that. You know, if if my goal, and and I I kind of have an overarching goal of what I want to maintain as I get older. I want to maintain muscle mass. I want to maintain strength. I want to maintain um, my ability to be explosive, you know, to jump, to sprint, to throw.
0: Hey, man, how's your sexual function? Oh, uncomfortable talking about it? Look, we talk about our injured knees, our belly fat, so it's time to get focused on function. I want to tell you about GainsWave. This is a cutting-edge protocol where a handheld device sends low-intensity shock waves into your penile blood vessels to stimulate a healing response and promote increased blood circulation and the growth of new blood vessels a skilled practitioner puts the gains wave magic wand onto your magic wand. And after a series of six to 12, very brief treatments, which are painless, but extremely effective, you get real results. Gains wave reports an 80% success rate. Now, It's a tune-up for your equipment. And while it's great for ED, GainsWave is for any man that wants to combat the effects of aging and get a little boost for your A-game. So please visit gainswave.com/brad. That's G A I N S W A V E.com/brad to find a practitioner in your area and you can take advantage of my special promotion. Buy 6 treatments and get one free. You have nothing to lose and lots to gain from gainswave.com/brad.
1: And I want to maintain some conditioning, and so I try to com- com- try to include some element of all of those throughout the week. You know, it'll vary how much I do one versus the other, depending on you know the time of the year and, and what my goals are. But the, but those are the things I, I continue to do. You know, if I want to put on a lot of muscle mass, then I'm going to train a little bit longer, a little more volume. I've responded mm-hmm. better to that. I know there's people that that, that like to do the hit style training, where it's one set, you know, once a week, and mm-hmm. I, I never respond to any to of that. I, 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 whether it's psychologically or physically, I like a little more volume. I mm-hmm. mean, that's that's what I've enjoyed, and I've I've had success with that for, and arguably I think pretty decent success for 40 40 plus years now of training, and so. Uh, yeah, if I, if I've got unlimited time, I'll go to the gym and do, it's not going to be three hours. I'm not going to spend three hours, in the gym, <laughs> but it might be for me, a long workout would be anything over an hour, you know, hour and 15 minutes. And I'm like, that's all I need to do.
0: And what kind of stuff are you doing? Uh,
1: well again, for the, uh, rowing stuff, obviously it's rowing, uh, for the explosivity stuff, I'll do, um, uh, I'll do a lot of like post activation potentiation stuff where I'll do, a heavy squat followed by jumping or a heavy oh. snatch followed by, by explosive med ball throws or, you know, uh, you know, pressing and then medicine ball slams or you know, chest presses, you know, with, with a medicine ball.
0: And you're supposed to be better, like the post-activation potentiation is you do that warm-up workout. Not, I wouldn't call it a warm-up workout. You do something pretty tough and then you go do something similar and you actually get a performance boost is right. the idea. Yeah, that's
1: the idea behind that. And, it's, and it happens. And, you know, there's a guy, you guys might remember Ben Johnson, <laughs> uh, you know, the infamous sprinter from Canada. that yeah. popped for steroids. And I think, I can't remember what year it was. Was it 84? 88, soul. 88, okay. Yeah. So, And Charlie Francis was his coach. But I remember hearing that, uh, that he was doing, I mean, literally within minutes before him stepping on the track, he was either doing very heavy cleans or heavy squats you know he would just kind of get primed and then he'd walk right out the track and go wow and i've seen that you know like i'll I'll sometimes do that in a rowing machine like yesterday in fact i was at the gym i was doing deadlifts it was like you know moderately heavy for me it was 415 for a triple then i went into penta jumps and so i went jump 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 jump, and i would do a bunch of sets of that and i like that that gives me that sort of activation but uh uh, you know, and then I do a little bit of the bodybuilding, hypertrophy stuff where I'm doing curls and, you know, the chest press and flies and that type of stuff. It just kind of, so I mix it up quite a bit so I can hit all those areas basically. And then, the, you know, I like for, for, for cardiovascular stuff, I don't do a lot of long, slow, steady state stuff. It's just I don't have time and I don't enjoy it. And at 240 pounds, I don't want to be running for miles. I mean, it's, it's just not fun for me. Uh, so I might get on like an airdyne bike and just mm. go as hard as I possibly can mm. all out 15 20 seconds because that's really all you can sprint for you know right. you, you run out of you know that CPk switch system shuts off and you you can't sprint faster you, you just kind of automatically slow down and then I give myself enough recovery so that I can do it again at that same yeah. level of effort or very close to it I don't I don't like the tabata where I go all out and then I rest, insufficiently and then I can't go all out again. I like to go all out. And so yeah. that's, that's been my, 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 philosophy love it. For
0: that. I mean, I did a show with Dr. Craig Marker, who was a leader in this scene and he wrote a beautiful article called hit versus hurt and hurt is high intensity repeat training. Yeah. The indication that you rest enough right. and your work effort is short enough that you can truly deliver an right. explosive effort. And right. I'm so used to, you know, being in the endurance scene, the triathlons were out there training all day and we're doing, you know, six times, three minutes on the running trail. With only a short rest in between each thing. And by the end, you're, you're toast. Yeah. And, you know, we don't realize now, but I think, you know, my concession to aging is that you don't want to be out there trashing your body with these crazy workouts that maybe you once did in your 20s because they aren't really physically healthy for the body.
1: Yeah, I mean, I certainly prescribe. I haven't heard that term hurt before, but that, that that's pretty much in a nutshell describes what I do. And I like it. I mean, I, I, I think it's, you know, I, I just like being able to. I call them like chainsaw sprints. I pretend like the Texas Chainsaw Masters <laughs> guys behind me, and I'm sprinting, going as fast as I possibly can. On, on the Aerodyne bike? On the Just making that noise, yeah, like right. tried, deafening yeah, the whole room? Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's kind of funny because I had some of the, the, the regular home models, and I broke two or three of them. Uh-huh. I was going too hard. I finally got uh-huh. a commercial model at the house, and yeah. so now I don't break the machine. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. They
0: need to get you the right one, man. yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're training for one minute fifteen, or maybe up to a six minute event, if you if you yeah. broaden your scope, but yeah. your your records at the minute fifteen mark, um, I mean, what kind of workouts are preparing for that? Is this a, a lot of short sprints?
1: So right now, as funny as it sounds, you know, there's that, that, you know, that I'm treated. You're uh, 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 familiar with this, the the said principle, the you know, specific adaptation to impose demand. So you mm-hmm. do what you do what you train for. So right now, I've only got. I think what is it? Two, February 9th I'm competing, so that's about two and a half weeks from now. So I'm doing basically a, the event every day. Oh, really? <laughs> and working wow. on getting faster and faster. And when I broke my world records, that's the exact same thing I did. In fact, I sat there and broke the world record like ten times in a row because <sighs> I had it. And then I went back tomorrow and, and took another three tenths of a second off, and I kept doing it. Kept doing it until I finally hit, you know, my threshold you know yeah. I, mean, I got I, I got burned out at that point but that worked for me pretty well and it's, I wouldn't you know you can't do that year-round but I think for this short period of time that works for me it's, I wouldn't recommend it for everybody but you know particularly when I'm limited on time I know exactly what I'm going to be doing and what it does is builds confidence because I know like look I just did this yesterday <laughs> you know I might take a day off you know but I mean yeah. I just did this two days ago I know I know I have the capacity to do this so it's a little bit of a mental relief and i and i like I said there's nothing like you know doing your event to pertain to train for the day and i know it, it goes against some of the other training philosophies but for for my specific goal you know i set world records doing it that way so it must work you know at least for me
0: well it's it's no impact so right, you, it's yeah. not like a, a a quarter miler doing it over and over i couldn't right. imagine you know doing running like that
1: right And the other thing i would you know and just to go back to the diet i've known a tribe i've, I've I have noticed a tremendous recovery uh, capacity with this, not like anything I've ever seen before in my own personal life. So for instance, there was a one minute world record, which I had set, uh, it was like 400, at the time it was like 400 and I want to say eight meters in one minute. And I went down, I was I knew I was going to do it that day, and I got 410 meters. And I was I was happy, but I was kind of pissed because I thought, I know I can do better than that. And so I was kind of really pissed at myself. So I literally, you know, went upstairs, I took a shower, I ate a steak, I waited about three or four hours and I went back down later that day and did it again and went 414 meters. So I broke the world record twice in one day. And, you know, this is a, this isn't, you know, your body, you feel it when you do these all out. So I mean, you know, like my heart rate will be up for, you know, an hour or two or three afterwards. Wow. I mean, it's extremely taxing on the body to do that. And I was like, I just recovered, you know, and, and it's, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. Whew.
0: And in general, you can recover from these these all out maximum bursts. The next day, you feel okay. You can do it again. Yep
1: that's that's the weird thing about this diet. I mean, my recovery is phenomenal. You attribute
0: a lot of that to the diet. Absolutely. I mean, you have reference points from in your thirties and forties, like you say. Absolutely.
1: Like even like the DOMS I would get. You know, when I would train before, I knew if I
0: that's delayed onset muscle soreness
1: for those of you at home. Right. So I know that before when I like haven't trained. In fact, I just because I've been training in my little little horse horse stable. i've got out here i'm I'm living on equipment and i I wanted to do some other stuff so i went back to the gym i hadn't gone to in probably a year and did a whole bunch of exercise like oh
0: no that guy we can't talk because the the aerodyne is going to be too loud okay yeah
1: so i so i get back in there and i do a bunch of stuff i hadn't done in ages and i mean i'm a little bit sore but nothing like i would have had in the past in years past where i would be you know just limping around and you know I had, i've had squat workouts where i literally had a hard time walking
0: for three or four days sure that, that happens to me all the time man yeah and so now i'm like i gotta tighten up my game i guess
1: well eat more meat yeah but i mean i'm just like now i'm like i'm a little bit sore but i'm fine to right you know and this is this is after not doing a particular exercise
0: in, you know probably a year okay there's there's my next question then i mean how how strict would you like to see a person try this out um in terms of you know the exclusion of all uh, plant related foods or there's a carnivore-ish uh, term right. getting kicked around now there's the nose to tail uh, argument where right. they're saying if you're gonna do this you really gotta you know be broad and varied but I, I think you come across um, a little more simple and straightforward
1: yeah so I' I'll, I'll talk about a couple things so when I talk about a carnivore diet uh, and you know, of course, I wrote a book called The Carnivore Diet, so I've got some liberty to. to sort yeah, of Yeah, that's find. out
0: there, and the the reviews are awesome. I I looked at that. How long's it been out? Uh, it came out on November nineteenth. So oh, okay, so out, just just uh, hitting the streets. Yeah, it's just pretty new. How's so? the response to you? It's been
1: very good. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of everybody's bought it, really enjoyed it, and you know, I, you know, I wrote it with accessibility to everyone in mind. I didn't I didn't want it to be over technical. I wanted it to be because you know, because this may be the first exposure many people have had to it, so it's kind of like. Is a lot of philosoph- philosophy. I mean, there's a lot of science in there as well. I didn't. I didn't. There's not like there's no science, but I mean, let's be fair. There's there's not a lot of carnivore diet studies you can point to I mean yeah. there's, there's the, the literature is scarce. So you have to kind of extrapolate from other areas. Uh, but uh, yeah, the response has been really good, and I've been really really pleased with that. And hopefully more people will, will will kind of start a conversation. You know, I think that's important. But when I so what I sort of when I give a lectures on this, I say you know a carnivore diet to me means a diet that focuses and gets his nutrition from animal sources. And then what we do with the plants is we either completely eliminate or limit them to the to the you know to the level needed to achieve the health goal. You know, and, and I think that's as simple as that. And for many people, it's all plants out. It doesn't mean that everybody has to do that. And I think it's really exciting. We've got a study coming out of Harvard University with David Ludwig. Uh, looking at this coming up. And we're gonna have some people in there that are fully carnivore 100 percent There's gonna be people that are 90 and 80 yeah. percent. And we'll be able to see is there is there a significant difference between these people when you when you stratify them out? And I think that's important information. And so it depends on the condition. You know, some people that have these horrible uh, you know, GI inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's or ulcerative colitis probably are gonna to need to be pretty darn strict. Some people with autoimmune diseases are probably gonna to need to be pretty darn strict. Other people that are just eating treating your kind of your standard runner, run-of-the-mill, run-of-the-mill cardiometabolic disease, diabetes, obesity, probably can get away with a little less strictness. Now, again, there's a, there's a psychological component in food addictions and cravings that are kind of in the background, so we have to be able to deal with those things, and I talk about how to, how I, how I you know, see that in the book. But as far as, you know, the nose-to-tail thing, you know, I, I certainly appreciate guys like Paul Saladino and talking about that and looking at the nutrient profiles. Um, you know, but... When I when I've looked at the overall population of this, these folks, and I've done this, I've done surveys. I did a survey where I got 10,000 people to respond to do the diet, and I talked sure. to them. What, how much organ meat are you guys eating? Because that's interesting. And about 15% of them are eating it with any frequency, where you could say, we're going to meet your nutrient needs. And you know, but when you look at those groups, there doesn't seem to be a clinical difference between between them on a macroscopic scale. Now, individually, certainly there are people that will say, I didn't feel 100 percent better until i included you know x y or z in my diet this this supplement or this organ and i think there may be different people in different backgrounds so a lot of these people coming from you know plant-based diets particularly tend to be maybe a little more <laughs> malnourished and maybe they need that additional boost in the beginning no offense well you know i mean it's just, it is what it is i mean that's just what we're seeing but i you know i i, I just kind of disagree with the notion that everybody has to do it this way because Clearly in my experience and quite honestly the people that have done this diet the very longest the people that have done it 10 years 20 years They're not including organ meats in their diet. They're eating basically just steak, maybe steak and eggs and that seems to be sufficient And I wouldn't say that they're not optimized. I think it's I think it you when you when we talk about optimization You're gonna live longer. I think we really start to get into this uh, sort of uh, Soothsay, you know, I don't think we have the data that can support that and so uh you Paul and I are going to have a discussion on this. And, you know, I think, I think we are, and I, you know, I, I, you know, it's like, well, what about your methionine status or what about your home? And I'm like, Paul, we don't really have long-term outcome data that show us exactly what that means in this population. And so until we do that, and again, it's the same thing we never, we're never going to know. And so I, I come back to my original point of how are we doing? How are we feeling? Are we, are we no longer taking our diabetes meds? Well then yes, you're doing well. Um, so I, and again, my goal is to bring this to the masses, to people that, mm. you know, want to try it. And, you know, maybe they can't afford the grass fed, mm. you know, twenty dollar a pound, you know, steaks. And and maybe maybe they if they, they're told that they have to eat liver and brains and raw kidneys to be successful, they're probably not even gonna try it. Mm-hmm. I mean so mm-hmm. you have to you have to sort of look at who your target audience is and you know, and and, and then actually look at the results of what's happening in people. And that's what I've done. I'm I'm, I'm looking at this from a uh, less reverse engineer. These are the people that are having success. You know, what could have been happening? And, you know, the the sort of belief that we can make a nose to tail, nutritionally complete animal uh, and match the RDAs, which I think the RDAs are not really reflective of what's really going on. You can't really do that. If you take a cow and you stick their Pancreas and their thymus and their liver and grind it up with all the other meat and then, you know, put that out and feed it to people. They're going to be short on a number of nutrients still.
0: So you can't make that animal happen. You'd have to have a cow with like eight livers to get enough. enough what if I, of. I take like twenty different bottles of ancestral supplements? Well, you can do that. Close? Yeah, I
1: mean, you can do that. Yeah. But I mean, but I mean, if we're saying that we're you know if we're saying that we're, we're following this evolutionary ancestral right. pattern, you, your cow would have to have eight livers to, to, to reach your vitamin C requirements. So I so I think. There has to be compensatory mechanisms, and we already know some of those exist. We know there's a glucose uh, vitamin C co transporter that doesn't account for all of it. There are things like carnitine, which is found in meat, which vitamin C has a role in. There are, you know, vitamin C acts and an antioxidant. Well, guess what? We upregulate our antioxidants anyway on a low carb diet. Um, so, you know, the bottom line is I don't have scurvy and I don't eat much vitamin C. And, and so there has to be something going on. I can't be setting world records in a in a nutrient depleted state, I would and argue. Better that than good. you were before as well. Yeah. In fact, you know, when I turned fifty, I, I my records when I was a forty year old, I broke them as a fifty year old. So I mean so, I got, so
0: this masters like everyone over forty, is that your Well I mean it's category? any it's any age
1: category. And if you look at the American records right now for like the Constitute five hundred meter row, I am the fastest in every age category except for one, the thirty to forty. I'm faster than the 20-year-olds. I'm faster than the 18-year-olds. What's up, college kids? I'm faster than the 40-year-olds, and of course, I'm faster than everybody older than me. You know, the only one that weren't able to beat me are the 30, 30-plus 30 category. So, you know, it's like, you know, that's that doesn't point to nutrient
0: deficiency in my in my view, at least. So, a simple approach that's maybe a little more user friendly to start and dabble in, and then you're your experience was that 30 day, that 30 day folly back in 2016. I mean, would that that would be a pretty simple ask, especially to anyone who's, who's suffering from anything now. And my curiosity listeners, I don't know where you stand on the spectrum, but, um, I feel fine. I don't think I'm reactive to plants. I don't, I I've eaten them my whole life. I love, you know, I I've eaten this and that, but how do I know? What's my standard? I, I want to be better and stronger and faster, yeah. and I don't know what I have to judge myself by because uh, you know, my m- Mia Moore, my woman, she sleeps two two hours less than I do every night, and she's got tons of energy. So it's like maybe I am a drag ass, and I need to change my diet. That, that's a tough one for me.
1: Well, I mean, you know, like I said, the only uh, first of all, I don't think everybody needs to do this. I think that uh, uh, you have people out there that. I mean they're doing great, just like you might say, and there's no reason to change I well, there, there might be I mean well, I mean, this is a point I mean there there is you know like you're you're I know you're a competitive athlete as well, and you might say, I'm gonna go carnivore for six weeks and measure something, you know, and maybe maybe you know uh, you're I don't know what you like to, to train with, but you, you there's some, some there's some metric that you could follow. Sure,
0: I'm, I'm going for a 400-meter time is Right, my, so, my so event. Maybe, maybe yeah. you can
1: knock a second off your 400-meter time, which is pretty significant. You yeah. know? Uh, if that occurs, then you say, well, wait a minute, maybe there's something here. Is it worth it to you? you know, maybe like me, who thought my digestion was completely normal, and then I go on a carnivore diet, and I was like, wait a minute, I wasn't normal. I was not as good as I am now. Yeah. So there, there can be that sort of revelation that occurs. And, 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 you know, then you kind of reach this sort of state where you're like, this is maybe my optimal state and, you know, maybe I'll put some stuff back in there and, and see if I stay there. And then if I find something that, you know, it's, if, you know, if we have a, like, particularly people have health issues and we, we want to say that there's a, there's a food contribution to that. And in, in most cases, there seems to be, particularly with all these chronic diseases, you know, and we want to solve that problem. And you know, you remember the game of Clue, you know, Clue where you have Colonel Mustard in the you know, in the library with the candlestick. Who done it, right? And you've got eight other characters and eight other rooms and eight other weapons, and we're trying to figure that it takes a while. You know, you gotta you gotta go through all the motions confounding you know, right? variables, all these variables like crappy right? scientific right, studies. Right. And so if you want to simplify that, you'd have one character or maybe two characters, right? And then it's pretty damn quick. You saw that you saw that game real fast. Uh, and that's what nutri- you can do nutritionally. So, like I said, if you're, you know, if you've got something, you're like want to find out what the nutritional confounder is, go to all meat, you know, see how you do, and then add something in. And if you add the whatever the spinach back in, and maybe the oxalates from the spinach are causing you to have joint pain, hey, maybe you don't need to be eating a bunch of spinach. You know, and I think that's how that works. Um, so, 30 days is, you know, it's 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 short enough time that people will try it. Uh, it's long enough that many people feel a benefit. In my personal view, I think 90 days is a better, a, a better trial for most people. I think if you're not going to get a benefit within 90 days, that's eh, probably not right for you. But I think for some people, the transition period for people, a lot of people, is one to two months. So you know, you, you might you might catch 70 percent of the people at the one month period. Another 30 percent might need that two month. And then if it doesn't work by three months, you don't get what you want out of it. You mm-hmm. know, then then why would you do it? I mean, Do you I,
0: think that's possible? I mean, uh, that that someone's going to try this and not get a benefit?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, potentially. I mean, some people, depending what their goal is. I mean, what a lot of people will say is, I'm doing it for this reason, hmm. You know, whether it's weight loss or this particular medical reason. And what often happens is that may not change that much, but they have like 10 other benefits right. and they stick around. Like, I've seen a lot of women in particular that they don't lose a single pound, but they're like... I'm no longer depressed, my gut's no longer hurt, my menstrual cycle is normal, uh, my thyroid isn't you know better. Uh, I feel happy, even though I'm still haven't lost a damn pound. In some cases I've gained five pounds. So that's occurring. Uh, you know, there's people that you know, there's a lot of people that try it and they're like, eh, hey, I got bored, or yeah, I really missed the carbohydrates and in, in, in there. But I've not really seen a lot of people where they got significantly worse. I mean, that seems to be a vast majority, and then some of that can be related to First time going into ketosis and some people get a rash or, you know, there's there's, there's right. a concept of this oxalate moving around and causing rashes and joint mm-hmm. pain. Those things happen kind of infrequently, but those those two occur occasionally.
0: OK, before we go, I want to hear about your sort of daily eating pattern, your favorite foods. Are you into the fasting or any of the uh, overlays like the time restricted feeding and other popular things? Um,
1: so in maintenance phase and I'm not in maintenance phase right now, I'm trying to eat my butt off because I lost oh. weight. Cause what happens is I got so busy with work and I wasn't able to train as much. And so I just got skinny, you know, I went, I, you know, I dropped down from 245 to to in about, wow, in about three weeks. Uh, and so right now I'm, I'm eating about five, six times a day to try to, try to, <laughs> try to, try to get that back up and do it and wrapping up my training in, in advance of these world championships. And I've gotten about half of that weight back. So um but normally day to day when i'm sort of hovering at 240 and feeling good and i'm and performing well it's usually about two meals a day generally about two pounds of meat in the morning two pounds of meat in the evening and that's kind of my, my typical day um sometimes i'll throw some eggs in there sometimes i'll throw a little bit of salmon in there sometimes i'll throw a little bit of dairy in there depending on what i you
0: know how i'm feeling i
1: just kind of i'm pretty intuitive about it. i don't really stress about it um, i eat to satiety i don't i don't let myself get hungry Um, And I kind of naturally just stay. My weight doesn't move. You know, Mm -hmm. as long as I'm kind of consistent in my training and my eating, I'm just you know on the money. And the nice thing about that for me is I'm just full all the time. I mean, I'm satiated all Mm -hmm. the time, so I'm not worried about that. And and of course, meal planning is pretty brainless. I mean, it's it's eating. It's like my dog. It's like feeding my dogs. They get the same food every day. Probably feed your dogs good food. Yeah, my dog. My dogs just all get raw meat. And my dogs (laughs) literally. Uh, when it's time for them to eat they're jumping around and panning and, and you know salivating and drooling and excited and hopping around and i'm the same way i'm like i i'm excited to eat this steak every yeah. every single meal and so it's it's not like uh uh i'm depriving myself or anything I, I truly enjoy the food and you know like i said if i want some eggs i'll throw some eggs in there or something else like that and, you know uh, when my son had his birthday, I had a piece of birthday cake. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I'm not like a religious. Then he celebrity. went
0: into his rowing room and busted out a minute fifteen all out. No,
1: I mean, I actually felt a little sick to my stomach. But wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I mean, I had it, you know, just you know, I enjoyed it while I was eating it, but I didn't, yeah. I didn't feel that great afterwards, and I did it to kind of as a concession to my kiddo because he wanted to just his bad birthday with him. But
0: uh, you think you're more sensitive now that your diet is so clean, yeah. like yeah, against sure. a slice of birthday cake? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, mean, uh-huh. I think
1: well, I think you know your, your gut microbiome changes your digestive system you know what it expresses the, the enzymes uh, the 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 things that it's going to produce the cell composition is going to change a little bit you know it's going to it's going to it's going to respond to your demands you know and that's why a lot of people take some while to transition because mm. the body has to you know upregulate and down regulate things and that takes takes some time for that for that to occur so right yeah. you hear
0: from the plant-based eater that they take a bite of hamburger and they get sick to their stomach or yeah. whatever happens, and it's possibly a legitimate sure. uh, complaint that they're going to have to habituate again to yeah, absolutely. nutritious absolutely. foods. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I mean, you got you got to transition into one diet and transition out to another one, and they're probably not, particularly if they're following the low-fat paradigm there, they probably don't express as much lipase, and mm. you know their gallbladder probably isn't as efficient and a whole bunch of
0: other things are, that are going on that, that often will come back
1: online over time.
0: Tell us about this meetrx.com. Is that your operation? Yeah. So meetrx.com is
1: a is a uh, uh, you know a vision that myself and my co-founder, a guy named Masa Rostami, She's a, she's a entrepreneur out of out of Silicon Valley. Uh, she's my co-founder and CTO. And my vision is really to. I, I think the healthcare system really is sick, and I think. I've kind of likened to calling it the disease management industry. I mean, I think that's what all we're doing for the most part, you know, outside of acute disease, acute trauma and other things. But when it comes to chronic disease, and that's what most of of healthcare addresses, it's really managing disease, putting Band-Aids on, you know, just dealing with symptoms, placating people, more drugs, more prescriptions, you know, that type of thing. I think that model is not serving people well, both the physicians and the, the patients. And so I'm trying to get into what I'm calling the health creation business, and one of the things that my thought is, to get this to the masses, it has to be uh, uh, accessible, it has to, be, it has to work, and, but it has to be affordable. And so we've really come up with this. So what we have is a bunch of you know, people that have done this diet, and they're very passionate about it. Some would call them zealots even, right? They're just, they're just proselytizing, they're talking, they're on social media. They're spending two, three hours a night talking to people, telling them about how wonderful it is, how they can transition. I'm like, why don't you guys, you know, we can set you up as coaches. We train you. you train you so you're all standardized and have standardized knowledge. And then we pay you a little bit. You know, you're not going to get rich. It's like a part-time job. It's like an Uber driver, right? We have a lot of people that would do this for free anyway. Now Mm -hmm. we're paying them a small amount. We're charging our clients Mm -hmm. incredibly small amounts to get them the support they need, the coaching they need. Because we know with any sort of healthcare intervention support always improves the outcome and so that's kind of the vision behind this we have a lot of other things on there we've got hundreds and hundreds of success stories to inspire people we've got all the research that's out there and we're adding to that all the time that supports this way of sort of dieting and things that are that are you know relevant to that we've got a huge section on environment like if you want to read about why animal agriculture can be helpful and some of the where some of these misconceptions come from get some of the real data out there. Uh, we've got about, you know lots and lots of recipes and you know even carnivores just meat, but there's lots of ways to prepare meat. there's lots of different things you can do things that you know make it more and more interesting for people mm-hmm. and then we have every day I have a, I host a live video meeting and it's on you know every Zoom, day every day every wow. day at 9 a.m I get in there Pacific time and we have you know 30 40 people in there and we just talk and answer questions and now we have evolving from that, We have additional meetings that are going on every day, all throughout the day, people from all over the world, and it's becoming more focused. Like we have a women's group. We have an over 65 group. We have people with chronic pain. We have people with uh, addiction, emotional issues, you know, uh, mental health issues. We have, uh, you know, what are the other ones? Autoimmune. We've got... Just, and just growing Boredom, uh, yeah, well, we have the boredom group, we have the athletic <laughs> group. Well, that's where we're, we're going to evolve to. So we have a, a place for anyone to go that's pursuing a you know, meat-based or mostly meat-based diet that wants support. Because you are kind of lonely a lot of times. You're out there, You know, maybe your family doesn't support you, maybe people in your community don't support you, mm-hmm. but you've got this huge online network. And that's been mm-hmm. more popular. It really was my co-founder's idea. And I said, well, yeah, it's okay, but it's been really popular. And it's, it's well attended and, you know, most of the stuff we do is for free. We cause it, cause it charge a nominal fee for our coaching, a nominal fee for membership. And we also provide discounts. We hook people up with ranchers and producers, secure discounts for these people kind of on a wholesale price. And so, you know, we want to bring the ranchers in and we want to, we want to, you know, we want to, we want to develop this relationship between these people and eventually, you know, have some political clout to where mm-hmm. we can kind of, you know, impact what's coming on
0: coming down the road. MeetRx.com. Dr. Sean Baker, thank you so much. Keep up the great work. Go get the book, The Carnivore Diet. Hard to forget that name. Well, Brett, thanks you. My pleasure. It's been fun. Thanks a lot. Da-da-da, and get over themselves because they need to, thanks for doing it.